1: Well, good morning, Crosspoint. Thank you so much for those of you who are joining us from home, online, or wherever you're at. Uh, thanks to our team here who's at the campus. Today is a great day. We are beginning our Life of David series. And so for the next six weeks, we're going to hear the story of the infamous and beloved King David. And so each week, you can find notes and group guides at the slash notes. Really quickly, the life of David is this story about how God made a shepherd boy the anointed king of Israel, and how through King David he established his everlasting kingdom. But now, to begin my talk today, I want to start by asking you a vital question, and this is it: How's your heart? You know, now that we're a year into this pandemic, our inner worlds are starting to bleed out. And if you weren't doing well at the beginning of restricted life, now it's really hard to hide your struggle. And if you were in a good place when it all began, now you might be just languishing in this liminal space between hope and depression that's kind of hard to describe, but you feel it nonetheless. You know, in a survey of Canadians affected by the pandemic from September of de- to December of last year, One out of five reported symptoms of depression, anxiety, and even PTSD. Young adults aged 18 to 24 were the most likely to report one of these mental health disorders. And these disorders were four times higher in people who experienced feeling lonely or isolated because of the pandemic restrictions. 40% of Canadians who reported financial distress due to the pandemic screened positive for one of these three mental health disorders, and that's just the people who took the survey. If most of us were really honest, I think, in our private worlds, we're not doing so hot. That's why this question has never been as important as it is right now. So let me ask you again, how is your heart really? As it turns out, the condition of our hearts has always been really important to God. And the heart heart is central to the story of David. David was a man after God's own heart. His story is about his inner world and his relentless pursuit of God and God's faithfulness that endures forever. David repeatedly and wholly surrendered himself both to the will and to the discipline of the Lord. Why did he do this? Well, this is the simple truth that we learned today. is because God's greatest desire is to have all of us. God wants your heart. He wants it all for himself. He wants the keys, and he doesn't want to share. But we so often give our hearts away. Our minds are captivated by other things. We are shackled by the love of things like money and materialism. Our hearts sway back and forth by the political winds. Sometimes family comes first and God comes second. And so in the same way, throughout the biblical story of the people of God, they have rejected him time and time again. They would give their hearts away to idols, to greed, and to kings. You see... Israel didn't always have a king. In those days, God spoke through prophets, and he acted through judges. But a time came where the people wanted a king. They said to Samuel, the prophet, Now appoint for us a king to judge us like the nations. And so the 12 tribes of Israel were unified in this theocratic kingdom, first led by Saul and then by David. And so the Lord said to Samuel, they have rejected me from being king over them. And the Lord instructed Samuel to give them what they wanted, a man for a king. And so the Lord selected everything that people could ever wish for in a leader. The tallest, the hunkiest, and the most handsome man in all of Israel. This man was a Benjamite named Saul. And Saul reigned in Israel for around 40 years. But in the end, the Lord rejected Saul. Because if the Lord was not the king of his heart, Saul could not be the king over Israel. So the kingdom was torn away from him, and Samuel would anoint David to be king. And so today, let me tell you that story of how David was anointed king. So if you have your Bibles handy, flip to 1 Samuel chapter 16, and we're going to start with verse 1. Let's read together. And the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him who I declare to you. And Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Anyways, for a second, let's take a moment To talk about what's going on here. The Lord tells Samuel to grab his horn of oil because of what? Well, verse 1 tells us that the Lord says, I have provided for myself a king. Meaning the Lord had found a man who would rule according to his will and his purposes. And so Samuel grabs his oil and prepares to head to Bethlehem to see Jesse and his sons. And in those days, anointing oil symbolized what God was doing in the lives of his people. So when the prophets poured it out and rubbed it on someone's head, it set them apart. They were called to serve God in a special way. But there's a catch in this story. There's a fly in the ointment. There's something in the way. And that thing, that person actually is Saul. Don't miss this. The problem Samuel faces here with Saul reveals something so important about the heart. It's that the heart is hidden. Who can really know it? If we just look at each other, who can know someone's heart? In this turn of events, the truth about Saul is revealed to everyone. The word has got out. The Lord has rejected Saul, and everything is laid bare. The deep, dark secrets in the furthest reaches of Saul's heart are now on display for everyone. We find that hidden somewhere in his heart, Saul loved the throne more than the Lord. He wouldn't give up the throne. Saul couldn't accept that the Lord had rejected the king. Now at this point, he might do anything to keep the throne. Saul could kill Samuel and the newly anointed king if he could only figure out who that was. So deep down, Saul's heart didn't belong to the Lord. And that was the very reason Saul was rejected as king. And so Samuel is like, I, how can I anoint the new king while Saul still rules? Won't he kill me? And it turns out Samuel was right. Saul might try to kill him. Samuel was afraid for his life, so what does he do? Well, the Lord provides Samuel with an excuse to go to Bethlehem. He says, take a cow up to Bethlehem and offer it as a fellowship sacrifice. So Samuel goes to Bethlehem, and the elders of the Bethlehem hear that Samuel's coming, and they are right there at the gate to meet him eagerly. See, these elders are worried that civil war is going to break out right there and then between Saul and Samuel, right in the middle of town. So Samuel reassures the elders that he comes in peace. He says, I'm here to sacrifice and share a meal with you. Maybe you could invite Jesse and his sons. You see, Samuel's deception here is so interesting to me because what it says about Saul again. Why would the Lord let Samuel tell a half-truth to the elders in Bethlehem? I think on one level, yes, it's to preserve his servant Samuel's life. But on another level entirely, the Lord knew that Saul could not be trusted. King Saul had floundered for 40 years as king. He proved that he had no faith in the word of the Lord. Instead, hidden in his heart was these fears, insecurities, greed, and he was a people-pleasing man. Time and again, he gravitated towards what he really wanted and was disobedient to the Lord. So let me ask you today, what do you really want? You know, that's a funny question. It's hard to answer that when you're asked that question in that way on the spot. At first, many people would be hard-pressed to really answer that question. Do I really know what I want? And this question reminds me of this movie called Stalker by Andre Tarkovsky, and and this post-apocalyptic apocalyptic adventure from 1979 is sort of this science fiction pilgrimage. It follows these three characters as they journey into what is called the zone. And the zone is this Chernobyl-like radiated wasteland that the government fiercely protects because of what is inside the zone. And at the heart of the zone is rumored to be this mystical place only known as the room. And in the room, it was said that your deepest desires would come true and the characters we know only as the writer and the professor want to investigate this room so they they need an illegal guide to get there someone who's been there before someone we come to know as stalker and so our Three characters in this movie enter another world in the zone where the laws of time and nature are bent. And as they come closer to the room, the writer and the professors, their anxieties peak alongside their Geiger counter. And they start to ask themselves, what will happen when we reach the room? Will we really be granted what we want? And in that moment, the writer and the professor are paralyzed by a realization. What if the things that we want are not actually our deepest desires? What if when we get into the room, it grants us something completely unexpected? And to them, it seems that only the room could reveal what the deepest desires are in their heart. So you see this discomforting epiphany at the center at the, of the, the Stalker movie is this? You might not love what you think you do. Not many people can confront that truth about themselves, even Christians. In his book, You Are What You Love, James K.A. Smith says this, If I ask you, a Christian, to tell me what you really want, what you most deeply long for, what you ultimately love, well, of course, you know the right answer. You know what you ought to say, And what you state could be entirely genuine and authentic. A true expression of your intellectual conviction. But would you like to step into the room? Are you confident that what you think you love aligns with your innermost longings? And so just like Saul, sometimes we don't really want what we think we want. It's hidden somewhere in our hearts. And so what we say and what we do are two completely different things. Instead, our deepest desires are manifested secretly in our life and in our habits. Like the mystical room from the Stalker movie, Smith says that what we love bubbles up from our hearts. Can you relate to this? Maybe you struggle to want the right things in your private world. You can feel like a Hypocrite or imposter sometimes you have this inner conflict and you try to ignore your inner dialogue And every time you give into that dialogue you feel like defective or defeated And so the worst part of all of this is the loneliness Nobody seems to know your internal struggle And so if that's you today, let me tell you one thing this none of this is a surprise to God Let me tell you what I mean. Let's get back to the story. So Samuel meets with Jesse and his sons. Let's keep reading, starting with verse 6. When they came, he looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on his height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And then Jesse made Shema pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And so Samuel is about to sacrifice this cow. And all the sons of Jesse are coming to participate. And he's looking at all these men. And he sees Jesse. hit jesse's biggest and brightest son Eliab, and he's thinking this must be the one this is god's anointed but the lord interrupts samuel's thought he said do not look at outward appearances because i look at the heart you know now we're, we're we've been throwing the word heart around a lot so let's talk about what exactly does it mean when we say the heart the heart is a common anthropological term used in the Bible for the inner person. In the Old Testament thought, the heart and not the brain is the location of the mind and the will. And the heart is this figurative center of the person. It controls the physical, emotional, and intellectual and moral activities of our person. And so when the Old Testament uses the phrase to say in his heart, they're describing things like thoughts. And so from a biblical standpoint, the heart is the beginning of everything. It's the source of all our lives. Many things can occupy our inner person. We can be filled with pride. We can suffer pain. We can be charmed by objects of desire or full of wisdom and the word of God. It is in our private world that we make promises or break vows from it flows victory or tragedy. And in the inner person is the sacred thing that needs to be taken care of what we discover about the heart in this passage is that god knows your heart the lord is saying through samuel that the lord looks on the heart he doesn't judge like men do instead he's more concerned about your inner person my inner person more than what we look like or where we come from that doesn't matter as much to god and if we know that god is focused on our hearts, it radically changes our priorities. Think, let's think about it for a second. First of all, it completely changes our value system. When we are comparing ourselves to each other, God is focused on hearts. When we judge others unfairly, God is looking at the heart. And when we're trying to win God's favor, he's really looking at your heart, at my heart. The second way it changes all our priorities is that it makes us more conscious of how we live. Nothing is hidden from God. He already knows our hearts. And if we live like he doesn't, we're only fooling ourselves. So don't be fooled. If our inner world is out of order, God knows about it. But the real question today for all of us here in the building and you at home is, do you know if your life is out of order inside? If God is focused on the heart, our private world, maybe we should be focused on that too. In his book, Ordering Your Private World, Gordon MacDonald wrote this. Are we going to order our inner worlds, our hearts, so that we will radiate influence into the outer world? Or will we neglect our private worlds and thus permit the outer influences to shape us? This is a choice we must make every day of our lives. So the question is, how can we order our private world? Well, let's take a look at David. Why does God choose him? Well, let's get back to the story. Samuel is here preparing for dinner with the elders, Jesse and his sons. And as they come into the house one by one, Samuel examines them and carefully listens to the Lord. First Eliab and Abinadab, then Shema. Not this one, not this one either, none of these. Eventually, Samuel has seen every one of Jesse's sons, and nothing. Has he missed one? Let's keep reading from verse 11. Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was a ruddy and had ruddy now he was ruddy, and had beautiful eyes, and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise and anoint him, for this is he. And then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So now this is the first time we're introduced to David. And listen to how David's father describes him. It's kind of funny. He says, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. Jesse's didn't even invite David to be seen by Samuel. He's surprised that Samuel even wants to see David. He's just a kid who looks after the sheep. David, the little shepherd boy. And so Samuel sends for David to join them. And as soon as Samuel sees David, the Lord tells him to anoint him right on the spot. And so Samuel anoints David with oil in the presence of his family and the elders. And on that, David David receives empowerment from the Holy Spirit in a very distinct way. And so the presence of God never left David like it did Saul for as long as he lived. So this is what we want to know now. What is it about David's heart that stood out to the Lord? When the Lord looked at his heart, what did he see? Well, by most external parameters, David was insignificant. He's from Bethlehem, a small back road town where nobody goes. He's the smallest and the youngest. He does the job that none of his brothers want to do, which is to watch the sheep. But God didn't see a little shepherd boy. He saw an accessible heart. Because God saw a young man who he could work in and empower. Remember, the Lord wants your heart. And because he wants it, it's not just enough to see it and to know it. God wants heart access. It didn't matter what David looked like or where he came from. This ruddy boy with beautiful eyes had all the qualifications of the heart. His private world was in order. Why? Well, I think the fact that David was a shepherd shouldn't be overlooked. Shepherding was really no joke. It seems that for David, being a shepherd was good for his heart for his inner private world how well let's think about it for a second the shepherd lived with the livestock it's a humble way to live they took care of the sheep and they're always exposed to the elements in danger they're vulnerable david even fought off a lion and a bear can you imagine that being a shepherd was the lowest position in society With the biggest responsibility. The livelihoods of families and entire villages were entrusted to shepherds. And so it was a hard way to live. You had to depend on God. And as a shepherd, you know, in the pasture, it cultivated an accessible heart in David. Well, how as a shepherd, he lived a humble, vulnerable, and God-dependent life. That's what God saw. And that's why God chose him. And that's how the Spirit of God empowered him to serve as king. And so most of us have never been shepherds, and none of us will ever be kings. But no matter who you are or where you come from, God is focused on your heart. He wants it for himself, and he can't have what he can't access. Without access to your private world, the Spirit of God cannot transform your life from the inside out. So I want to ask you today to pay attention to your private world, because the heart is not static. It changes. And you will discover in this series that David wasn't always so open and accessible. Things eventually changed when he moved from the pasture to the palace. He wasn't always a humble shepherd. Instead, he had servants to serve his every whim. He wasn't always vulnerable. Instead, he became one day the most secure man in Israel. He wasn't always God dependent. It was tempting for David to rely on himself rather than God. Disorder crept into his private world. And if you're not careful, it will happen to you too. But we might be asking uh, in our hearts today how we can possibly keep order in the chaos of a sinful heart. Well, the good news is that Jesus has already redeemed one. And is renewing our hearts day by day. He lived this holy consecrated life. Died for the ungodly and conquered the grave. And he ascended to heaven and sent us the Holy Spirit. And because of all of this, all who put their faith in Jesus as Lord receive new spiritual life. Which transforms the human heart. And sanctifies our inner world as we seek and trust in Christ. And so as we falter, Christ is able and willing to offer us his mercy and grace. And through his indwelling spirit, the grasp of sin on our hearts, we can day by day. And so in Christ, believers have these new fleshy hearts. Now our private worlds are sensitive and receptive to the spirit of God. This new inner self is malleable and its desires can be trained. We become singularly captivated by the Lord only. And so today, I want you to imagine with me what it would look like if we were to give God access to our private world. Maybe you've been struggling with unfairly judging people, people you don't know. Maybe you need to get to know them more and, and let God reveal things about them to you. It can be so easy to see the faults in people, but it takes time to see their virtues. Maybe you're drowning in a deep depression or some other mental health disorder right now, wherever you are. You know, God knows. He knows what's going on in your private inner world. And maybe it's time for you to reach out and allow God to heal you. To work in you. Your marriage might be struggling. You keep seeing the worst in each other. You're missing each other's hearts. God knows what's in your heart, but does your spouse. Maybe it's time to share your heart with them or someone who can help and allow God to work in your marriage. You know, where can we begin today, though? I think it starts with the first step. We need to cultivate a more honest conversation about our private worlds. Christians commonly call this practice confession. God uses confession in the body of Christ to allow his spirit to work in us. And Without revelation, there can be no transformation. We cannot overcome what we cannot admit in the presence of others and without the help of the Holy Spirit. To do this, we need community and we need repetition. So, perhaps today, the single most effective thing you can do is this. I want you to find at least one trustworthy person you know well and can see often in whatever way possible. And I want you to invite them to play a special role in your life. And I want you to give each other permission to regularly ask this powerful question How's your heart? And as part of this agreement, you need to expect honest answers from each other. Don't settle for questions that are answered with platitudes and maxims and things about the weather. And, and this kind of relationship, some days it will be difficult. It's hard to articulate what's going on in our private world sometimes, especially if it's something ugly, an ugly thought, or something that is embarrassing. You know, the simple things can be the hardest to do. But the humility and the vulnerability that it takes to practice this will transform your life. It will allow God to work in your life as you depend on him day by day with the help of the body of Christ. And so as we close today, let's, let's give this practice a whirl. So wherever you are, I want you to close your eyes and meditate on that question. Whether you're at home or here on campus, I want you to close your eyes answer this question in your mind's voice. How's your heart? What thoughts have been on your mind lately? What emotions have you been feeling? What desires have been hanging around? Really importantly, how are the things in your inner world affecting your external world? Can you see disruption there? And today maybe you need to consider who is one trustworthy person you can share this with? Whatever the, the answers may be to this question, let me encourage you today. God knows you and he knows your struggle and he loves you. He doesn't look down at the state of your inner private world. He doesn't want to redeem your heart merely because we owe it to him or are morally obligated. He wants your heart because he wants to do something in and through you. So that you can know peace and joy and satisfaction in him. And so by his spirit, he can empower you for life and for service. He's not looking at your heart because he wants to condemn you. He's looking at your heart because he's looking for an opportunity to redeem you. Let me pray for you as we close today. Lord, we are just so grateful that you already know our hearts and you still love us. And so I ask that you help each and every one of us today to cultivate the humility, the vulnerability, and the trust that is required to surrender our private world to you. You Like David said, search us, O God, and know our hearts. Try us and know our thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in us, and lead us in the way everlasting. And we thank you for your redeeming and renewing work in us. We love you for it. Amen.
0: Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.